Hello. Oh, hey, John. Hi, Dan. How, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I can't complain today. It's a good day. How about, how, good. How's everything up there in uh, Seattle? Oh, well, it's, um, it's, you know, the weather's nice. The, um, times are times, you know, things are, things are things. I wanted to, uh, to ask you a question. Yeah. There was a um, a television show that used to take place in Seattle, uh, called Frasier. Yes. I was wondering how accurate is that, that show? How accurate? Yeah. How accurate is that? You mean, You mean how accurately does it depict Seattle sure. or how accurate everything. is it All as it. a show of everything? Well, I never understood how they had, how their dad was a Brooklyn talking cop, but they both had sort of mid Atlantic <laughs> fancy Harvard accents. I mean, that would definitely made, made it funny. It made it funny. Yeah. Um, let's see how accurate. Well, the, the view out their window of the Space Needle is not very accurate. Right. That that looked like it was made out of construction paper. <laughs> but I think, um, let's see, I'm trying to think. You know, they had a radio show, talk radio show. Dr. Fraser Crane was a therapist. Did you ever like listen to uh, to his show when it was on? No, no. no. I, you know, I, I'm trying to remember the 90s. In that context, right? Not the one where everybody was uh, like drunk all the time and wearing loser sweatshirts, but the <laughs> 90s where there were like, there was like uh, psychology happening still and people were like really into, uh, I, I, don't, I really don't have a lot of Frasier material. Frasier, Frasier came on after I wasn't watching TV, so I've only ever seen it in reruns and stuff. And uh, I, I don't, I don't dislike it, um, but I didn't, I didn't, I, I, I didn't bond with it, you know. So I don't. So Frasier, Seattle is kind of like you know the Seattle I really don't know hmm. is the um, is the one uh, depicted in the medical show. There's a show like ER. Is it set in Seattle? I have no idea. No, that was uh, L- L.A. because they had the L. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I never saw that either, but uh, but but there's one. There's one, I guess, that's a show that's like Crossing Jordan or... Oh, yeah. Or, I've heard of that. I've heard of you know, like that. Medicine Medical or something. Some kind of television show that's very popular. It's been on the air for a long time, and it's set in Seattle and in an emergency room, I guess, or a hospital. It's just a hospital procedural, but but it's set here. I can't even name it, and, it, and it's something I should, I should have an opinion about. But yeah, I know you should. You really should. I, but I don't. I don't. I don't. Uh, what about you? Do you did you watch Frasier? I did. I liked. I enjoyed Frasier. I think I. I don't know if I liked it as much as I liked Cheers, but I did yeah. like it. I did enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, did you like? Uh, were you a, a Christy Alley Cheers or a, or did you like Diane? Um, I mean, Diane was great. I thought Diane was great. Yeah. She was great. She had the right personality. She was the right foil for Sam. She was. I thought very cute. Cute, yes. But the right personality, yeah. foil. Yeah. yeah. And uh and Kirstie Alley for me was not like I wasn't she wasn't my type. She wasn't my type, I guess you can say. 
really? didn't dislike her, but she was fine. She was fine. She, I thought she played the part fine. What about uh, Christiali in Star Trek? I mean, Lieutenant Savick is who you're talking about. I mean, she was great in that. I thought she was great in that. But when she didn't come back to reprise the role, I lost all respect for her, and she was dead to me. Why? Why? Why is that? Why did she not come back to and reprise? She said the role? that she regretted not coming back to reprise. I don't know why. Because I guess she maybe she like that was a thing that she had done, and now she was done. I don't. I don't know. It's the worst decision of her career. I would say. Huh. Yeah. I guess so. Right. Where is she now? Am I right? right? Where is she now? If she had just yeah. done the following movie, Star Trek movies, she'd be duly enshrined. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. You know. <laughs> I mean, let's just get to the brass tacks of it. She should have done it. Duly enshrined. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to revise some of my fanfic. Let's see. Christy <laughs> Alley yeah. Star Trek. You've got to. You've got to. Uh, so uh, did you notice that there's going to be a giant uh, snowstorm in uh, uh, in New York and on the East Coast this week? I heard there was some kind of front moving through, but I don't know the details of that. Are you, is this concern? Are you concerned? Are you worried? Are you freaking out? Are you, are you okay? I'm concerned that I'm not going to be there for it. Oh. <laughs> uh, you don't want to trust me. New York is not the place that anyone wants to be right now. No, it's exactly the place I want to be. I'm no. so, it's one of the things I'm the most frustrated about in the, um, in this Corona, uh, shutdown yeah is that i really want to i want to be in new york mm. when the city is shut down it's 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 kind of like the way some people like to go find abandoned factories and stuff and yeah, i like, like to do my that son too. is obsessed with that anytime we're that driving stuff. and he sees an abandoned building could we go in there like no of course not it's so neat abandoned buildings but but New York City in particular, when something happens and they and the town shuts down, like after the hurricane, when all the lights were out and the you know, and after nine eleven, like all these times when New York is faced with a crisis and it and something about the city dramatically changes, I just want to be there. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. And um, you know, I have a lot of friends there that are sending me pictures of themselves just walking down the middle of third avenue and there are no cars and it's like that is just exactly how i imagine myself i i uh i'm really really i don't miss seeing other people i don't miss going to the movies i just miss being able to travel mm-hmm. not necessarily to see other people just to walk up and down manhattan island during the shutdown and I'm, and I can't right. And now they're going to have a huge snowstorm and the island's already shut down and I can't go see that either. So it's just, it's small potatoes compared to other people's problems, but, but it is frustrating. I ever tell you what happened to me in an abandoned, um, I wasn't abandoned. There was no one there. Is that abandoned? There's no one there. Is there no one there because it was lunchtime or is there no one there because they have turned off the lights and are never intending to come back? Well, it was a construction site and they'd stopped doing construction on it. It was in the development that I lived in. This was in Florida. And I lived in a housing development where there were not many houses. There's, you know, two dozen at the most. And they were still 
breaking ground and doing more construction on, you know, the second phase where they're going to put in another, you know, I don't know, 12, 20 uh, new houses. And so I wandered in there. I was wandering around. I must have been 10 years old. And, you know, have you ever, I'm sure you've used a nail gun. Yes. You know how they have the little, for people who don't know, if you're on a construction site, there are these nail guns. And this is how they would drive a nail into something instead of hammering it. You're going to go a lot faster and it also can have a lot more force behind it. So if you needed to nail into concrete or into, you know, some kind of, you know, really thick, heavy wood, or you just want to nail something up and you don't want to sit there hammering it for an hour, you use one of these nail guns. And the way that they work is there's a little explosive charge that's embedded in a little plastic sleeve, if you will, that feeds through. And as you are, you know, putting the nails in, it's advancing that little strip that little plastic strip forward to engage a new explosive charge behind the nail to drive it through. Right. I mean, simple, right? Sure. I didn't know any of this when I was 10 and I just, I found these little things that I now know are explosive charges. And, uh, and they, you know, they were on a construction site. They look kind of interesting. And what what do you, what do you do if you're 10 and you're in an abandoned uh, construction site and you find these little things? Of what else except hit one with a hammer? You got to hit one with a hammer, Dan. That's the first thing you're going to do. Or or a rock if you didn't have a hammer. I had a hammer because they had left them there and the, the hammer was abandoned. And oh, so I, I, I whacked one of these things with a hammer because I was whacking everything in there with the hammer. And to my surprise, it exploded. It went off. Yeah. Which is what I feel happens. Like the, fa- the fact that there was a hammer there suggests that the site was not abandoned as much as it was just not occupied. Yeah, I think, I think I'm going to agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. I can agree with that. Anyway, it exploded. It exploded, violent, violent explosion. Uh, and so the first thing I noticed was that, you know, I couldn't really hear anything. Oh. It sounded like, um, you know, just that, that sound you hear after an explosion. And then the hearing came back and I looked around and I... There was a little tiny bit of smoke and I looked and so this thing had exploded when I hit it in, in such a way that there were sort of, I had like a gunpowder burn on my knee Wow! and then lower on the same leg. I didn't notice this right away, but I noticed there was blood pouring out of the leg. Hello. And apparently a piece of the casing around the, the explosive part had flew out and lodged into my leg. I think there were a couple pieces that had done that, but one of them was bigger. And I didn't, I didn't quite know this right away. I just knew something happened. So I kind of went home and after a little while, I realized that this wasn't like, just going to kind of go away. You'd been shot. I'd been shot. Yeah, I guess. And so I told reluctantly told my mom about it. And they determined I needed to go to the hospital. Uh, And then the doctor wanted to remove the piece, the shard from my leg. Oh, I thought you were going to say he wanted to remove your leg. The whole leg? No. Uh, He said I could keep the leg. And, um, And he wanted to remove this thing. And the way that he went about trying to remove it at first still perplexes me. I think his goal was to reach in with like, you know how they have those like, uh, they're not tweezers, but they're like hooked tweezers. They're like, they have like an L shape, like a hockey stick. 
Sure. And I think he wanted to pull pull it out, like reach in and pull it out. And so he's fishing around in there. Yeah, yeah, like, but yeah, they had like a, a hook on him. Yeah, hooked forceps. Yeah, sure. And uh, and so he was in there monkeying around trying to pull this thing out. Couldn't get it out. And uh, and so I, he got another nail gun. No, I wish he he started sticking little. He would stick a needle like a sew. It looked like a sewing needle in. He'd stick a couple of these in, mm-hmm. and then he'd X-ray my leg, and then I'd come back out, and they'd say, "Oh, well, it looks like the second needle." is uh is pointing closest to it so then he'd kind of fish around in there with the forceps couldn't get out so then he would uh then he would uh send me back in for another and he did this and he's like well we can't give you any more x-rays now because you've had too many mm-hmm. so we're gonna have to put you under a fluoroscope and at least that's what i remember it being called fluoroscope uh, and the fluoroscope. fluoroscope i guess was like a a live x-ray so that they could look and see what they were doing while they were doing it without having to cut me open. I see this. I, I, I'm with you so far. And so, it, you know, they were able to use that and they pulled the thing out. And, uh, and that, was, that was the end of the story, really. Wow. So I never did that again. That story really delivers. I know. <laughs> but yeah, that's why I don't go to abandoned uh, places. Oh, you don't? No. After that, you just, you said... I can't risk it again. Never no. again. I'm not going to any more abandoned Honestly, places. Honestly, even if a store is mostly empty, you know, I'll try to get the hell out of there. Wow. And yeah, yeah your son is compelled or drawn to... Yeah, uh, very, yeah. And what do you think he's looking for there? Same thing. What? Nail Some, gun? Something to hit with a hammer. Oh, yeah. You know? That's oh, yeah. boys. That's what boys do. Yeah, they're looking for something to hit with a hammer. <laughs> I mean, that's the main the main thing and then you know, the hammer it, just keeps getting bigger in alaska uh when i was a kid there was a there was what seems to be I, i'm trying to i'm trying to think what was really going on um because uh, my dad worked for the railroad and i was around the railroad a lot mm-hmm. um just sort of wandering around the the tracks kind of there, there, there was a, you know, there was the headquarters, the railroad terminal building, right? The main station in Anchorage where the headquarters of the corporation also was. And then in Anchorage there, there was a whole complex of like the, the rail yard, the, you know, the different places where they repaired the engines, the machine shops, all this stuff. It was all kind of throughout that area. And I would often while my dad was at work, I would just go down there and walk along the tracks kind of kicking stones and and um uh, playing my harmonica you know just <laughs> normal kid stuff yeah but you know i was a pyromaniac and also like a fireworks nut yeah and the railroads have a lot of at least used to had a lot of sort of stuff that wasn't quite fireworks but also it wasn't quite not. And the, one of them, one of the things was called a torpedo. And it was basically, you know, like a, uh, those little tiny spit wad fireworks that you throw and they pop and explode mm-hmm. when yep. you throw them against a road or against yes, a wall. I love those things. I don't know what those are called. Poppers or poppers. something. Poppers. 
Not to be confused with the other kind of poppers, I guess. Yeah, the amyl nitrate poppers, not (laughs) those. But there's a kind of those that they use on the railroads where it's a, it's a, a kind of a little bag, the size of a size of a mounds bar, or maybe the size of a mounds bar that had been, um, hit with a, like supersized ray. Okay. If you took a mounds bar and you used a mad scientist ray and went beep and you expanded it. And it had a it had metal clips on it, and you would clip it onto the rail. Mm-hmm. And the point of it was that if you were repairing the tracks somewhere up the up the road, if there was some reason that a train was th- that there was some problem on the track, but this was before this is like old railroad stuff where there weren't phones, obviously, but also I guess not radios. <laughs> you would run down and put one of these mo- these torpedoes on the track, and when a train rolled over it, it would go bam. It oh. would like it would pop like a like a popper, and that would alert the engineer to put on the brakes, or it would you know it'd be some signal, some way to signal a train that something uh, signal the train that was better, I guess, than having somebody just stand there waving their arms or or something. I'm not sure exactly how they were used and why I would sometimes find them lying on the ground. But there were also flares and all this other stuff. But the, but the most confusing thing was in Alaska, there was a lot of dynamite being used all the time to do things. I think this is uh, this is a feature of the American West. I think it was true of Texas too. Maybe still is in parts. But people used to use dynamite. Right. Routinely. Yeah. To do things. Yeah. Like there's a stump that you want out. You put some dynamite under it. <laughs> yeah. And blow it up. Right. There's a bunch of mud or rock that you want out of this hole get go get some dynamite go down to the store and get some dynamite and stick the dynamite in there and blow it up now i can't tell you the last time i saw somebody use dynamite to do something no can you no what was the last time you asked you you heard dynamite go off they just don't they don't do it i mean there's a lot of roads out here especially in the hill country that it's very clear that they used they used dynamite to clear these roads to make you know bust through the very very dense thick stone mountains that aren't really mountains that are much smaller but yeah right well so when i was young you used to hear dynamite go off and mm-hmm. also there was just dynamite all over my dad's friend the guy that when i used to work at the gold mine up in uh, arctic circle did you have you told me that you worked in a gold mine? Is this a thing that I knew? Did you not know this? This is a story in of a gold, like a minor 49er, like the light on your cap kind of thing. Yeah. Really? Well, not it wasn't so it was this is a story that I have told uh other places, but it was a it was a summer job for me. Uh and it was a, a placer mine, which means it wasn't like 
uh, there weren't shafts. We didn't go down, dig down into the earth and go take an elevator like a, like down. Like a canary that you'd be watching to. No, it wasn't a mine. It wasn't a mine like that. Not a hard rock mine, as they say. It was a placer rock mine. I have no idea what these things mean. Well, so uh, placer gold is gold that has been through uh, through earth processes, processes, mm-hmm. earth processes, has been worn out of its vein, and um, and has found its way into the rivers, and then has been washed down in the riverbed to, you know, and sort of dispersed in the gravel along the length of a, of a creek or a river or, or what have you. This is the gold panner stuff. This is, um, and my dad had a good friend who at some point, you know, he was, he wasn't, uh, uh, like an Alaskan guy that he, that my dad knew, socially Mm -hmm. but at some point in his life and you know when i think back at it i'm sure he was my age right um but at a certain point in his life he said i'm going to start mining gold maybe he'd been doing it all through the 70s he certainly was no he wasn't new uh but he he had a claim um, up by Circle Hot Springs in Alaska. And Circle Hot Springs is, so there's a town called Circle, and it's called Circle because it's on the Arctic Circle. And it's also on the Yukon River. And it's northeast of Fairbanks a long way. It's a long way out there. Mm-hmm. We would like to say thank you very much to Audible. Paul Rudd leads an all-star comedy cast in Escape from Virtual Island, a new scripted audio comedy written by John Lutz of SNL and 30 Rock. Rudd is joined by Jack McBrayer, Paula Pell, Amber Ruffin, and a host of your comedy favorites in this genre-hopping madcap comedy adventure. Set on a remote luxury resort island in the year 2038, adventure seekers flock here to live out their wildest fantasies in custom-made virtual reality simulations. But when an important guest goes missing, a ragtag search party led by Paul Rudd maladjusted resort air plunge deep into the world of vr in hopes of returning with the lost guest and some sense of reality you can start your spring off completely lost in comedy delight escape from virtual island you can listen for free with a 30-day trial just go to audible.com slash virtual island or text virtual island to 500 500 so one more time audible.com slash virtual island or just text Virtual Island to 500-500. And don't forget, while you're on that 30-day free trial, you'll be able to listen to this and a ton of other awesome audiobook content that's out there. We sure do appreciate the support of Audible. Thanks very much to them for making this show possible. Circle Hot Springs is like an Old West kind of... They built they built an old ramshackle hotel there, but like, like a kind of cool-looking old... Uh, gold rush looking hotel because there were, there were hot springs there. And, um, and it was a spa that you would go to in ye olden times. Anyway, this guy, my dad's friend had a gold claim there and he had a, he had about five or six, maybe 10 guys working for him. And my dad 
went to him one time and said, my kid needs a summer job and I want him out of here because he's driving us crazy. And so I, I took the train up to Fairbanks. Bob picked me up in Fairbanks in his 1971 Ford F-250. And we drove this long, bumpy dirt road for hours and hours and hours and hours up to Circle Hot Springs. And I lived there in a log cabin. That's so cool. And my job every day was to go to the mine, which was what they'd done is there was a stream, a creek, and they'd cut down all the trees up the side of the bank, probably, what, uh, 200 feet up the side of the hill on one side of the creek. And then they had bulldozers, caterpillars, and they would, you know, they would bulldoze the dirt off the side of the hill and they would bulldoze it down to the creek and they would use the water of the creek to wash the dirt through the sluice box. And they'd built this giant sluice box. And then at the end of this sluicing process, you know, and they were just destroying the creek, destroying everything, or, you know, it was just total destruction, yeah. this style of gold mining sluice everything down through the sluice box and then at the bottom you know they'd collect this um pay dirt which was black sand and gold nuggets and you know it was this it was this pretty rich little um heavy kind of dirt they, they didn't just reach down and pull big nuggets out. You know, it was it was like nuggets mixed in with all this sand and and other stuff, the stuff that was at the bottom. Because it, it was a big operation. So they weren't looking for like, it's a nugget. You know, they were. It, this was an industrial process. And then they would take that gold, and they would take all that, that dirt, and they would put it all in big 50-gallon drums. And then they would process it there they had mercury and mercury is you know, like liquid mercury is part of the process of of um what are they using that for well the mercury whew, this was just part looks, of this looks cool and they just want to you know. <laughs> it's pretty amazing it was part of the science that they didn't I, w I was not involved in this you know there was a shack they had the dirt they had the mercury i don't know how it worked I don't know whether gold is attracted to mercury. I mean, it was all this was a time when if you had a if you had a, a quart of oil that you didn't want anymore, you walked down and poured it in the river. Oh yeah, you know there there nobody was nobody was trying to be nice, and they used dynamite all the freaking time up there. Things dynamite was going off left and right, and um, <laughs> this friend of my dad, his house in Anchorage, he had a big. He had a shed in the back where he kept his lawnmower. Yeah. And then he had another shed that said dynamite on it where he kept his dynamite. Isn't in dynamite fairly volatile? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyway, my job at the, at the gold mine was I was just the teenage boy. I was basically the mascot. But I just went around and did all the shit work that nobody wanted to do. Like mm -hmm. they would, they'd, they'd, you know haul ass around the mine all day in this big d9 caterpillar and i don't know if you've ever been like up on a d9 caterpillar but it's as big as a house that's that's one of the big cats 
And then they'd get done, and this thing would be up to the gunwales in just solid clay mud. And they'd hand me a hose and a you know, and a shovel and a pickaxe, and they'd say, clean, clean, clean the cat. You know, it would take you all day to clean a freaking cat, especially if you were a young teen like I was with the work ethic I had, which was not that great of a work ethic. But that's where I learned to drive. Um, he took me out one time, said he was going to teach me to drive. I was, what, 14, 13? And his, his way of teaching me to drive was he put me in this, this truck, this F-250, and he said, uh, the first lesson was we were going to drive backwards using only our mirrors. I wasn't allowed oh, to look over my shoulder. That's a, good, that's a good technique to learn for sure. Put it in gear and then just drive real slow around this dirt parking lot, uh, you know, parking lot, around this dirt flat area uh, outside the hotel. And um, and so I just would drive around backwards with him sitting in the truck. And he was a stern guy. You know, he wasn't like super gentle. Yeah. But he... You know, he got me started driving backwards. I drove a, I drove my first three-wheeler there back when three-wheelers were not illegal. Oh, and, yeah, the uh, ATCs, we used to call those. Yeah, the Honda, the original Honda. The Honda ATC. I knew uh, Pete, Pete Tomasino had one of those. And uh, he never let me, ri- he'd let me ride on it with him, which is always a little weird because you really had to grip the person who was driving it really uh, tight, which I didn't like, you know, because he was weird. Oh, no. I uh, I definitely wrecked the one that I was driving. Did you? And wrecked it. I rolled it. Oh, no. And I rolled it off the road. Oh, no. Those things were so dangerous. So dangerous. Yeah. I rolled it down into a ditch off the road, and it was only that the next person that came down the road, because this is like a road where you could go off the road and no one would ever find you again, but I was down in the in the brush and this thing was on top of me and they were heavy they were heavy and i was like i was screwed cuz i you know i i i hadn't been able to make the turn and the thing was tippy and it had tipped and then we'd gone off the road together but with it on top of me you didn't break anything no because yeah. i landed in you know just willow brush which is which is what's everywhere there but the next person that came along the road either came along quickly enough behind me that they still saw dust hanging in the air oh, right or they saw that the that the willow brush was was pressed down or for some reason they pulled over and came running down the hill right and rescued me that was my that was my first, uh, yeah, my first car crash. Anyway, dynamite, Dan. There was so much dynamite, and around the Alaska Railroad, for whatever reason, and I don't. I, this is the part that's confusing to me now. There were signs, and I was specifically given a poster by one of the guys at the machine shop at the Alaska Railroad that showed every kind of blasting cap 
<laughs> and the poster said, do not play with these. Right. If you find these blasting caps, leave them alone. They are, they are explosives. And this poster probably had 50 different kinds of blasting caps. And they were beautiful. You know, it was a color poster, and they were photographs. And the blasting caps were these beautiful little blasting caps. But they were all different colors and different shapes and sizes, and they had colored wires coming out of them. And I, I remember studying this poster. And, of course, everywhere I went, I was looking for blasting caps because the presumption of this poster and of the signs posted all around the presumption was that there that people were dropping blasting caps right and left, right? That 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 they that I would be walking around the rail yard and I would just find blasting caps. Which yeah. now, when I think about it, that's kind of crazy. But I really believed that what this poster really was was like an Easter egg hunt. <laughs> it, it was like a <laughs> right. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. But I never actually found a blasting cap. I ended up at one point kind of making my own blasting caps when I went through my pipe bomb phase. Oh. But I've I've there's a part of me that I think when I was young, the same part of me that felt like I should join the army and the part of me now that kind of regrets not having joined the army. There's a part of me that's maybe a little younger than that that believed that one day I would work with explosives. I would either be in fireworks or I would be in demolition or I would be in some other mining, some aspect of life where I was the dynamite guy. Mm-hmm. I thought about this so much. This was really, I really had a vision of it. And now looking back and realizing I've never ever once been responsible for setting off dynamite to break a a rock or to dislodge a stump or to create a hole in something to take a building down. I feel like I've squandered my life. I was going to say what, I mean, what happened? (sighs) Well, it's a waste. You can't be happy with where you are right now. Guys that use dynamite are, uh, they're people in the engineering fields, right? Those are engineers that use dynamite or people that are engineer adjacent. At some point along the way, I did not ever think of engineering as a direction. Like engineering, architecture, those disciplines did not appeal to me. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I spend a lot of time thinking about engineering and architecture now when I travel the world. I'm conscious of engineering all around me. I when I see when I see what I think is wonderful engineering or when I see engineering that I feel like I I mean I I investigate it, right? I go study it. You don't have to be it. an engineer or an architect to appreciate it. And maybe, maybe that gives you a better perspective because you're, you know, like, like who better to appreciate a, a different culture or a language or society than somebody who is not born in it? 
You see yeah, things well, there that, that may, maybe you're a better engineer because you didn't go to school for it than you would be if you had. Yeah, on, let's, that's, let's some, just, that's something right there. Let's just make sure that all the engineers listening have heard that and there's and they basically can't argue with it. I'm a better engineer than they are by <clears> virtue <throat> of yeah. But uh but you know, I'm not like fascinated by poets and I spent a lot of time studying poetry when I was little. Not little, younger. But I don't go out in the world and well that's not true i do when i encounter poetry in the wild i do sometimes stop and admire it but not as much as bridges and culverts and stuff right sure anyway i wonder if there's a if there's a way if there's some kind of field trip i could do where somebody could give me like a three-day course on dynamite it's just I don't think they use it anymore. Who uses it except for road construction? They've people? used nuclear bombs to clear out channels and stuff. I think they've come a long way with regular machinery now. They like they want to use machinery for everything. Give them an excuse to build a big piece of machinery and they'll take it. They so don't want to blow uh, things up. I think they should go back to it, blowing things. For people uh, who are who are googling along at home, if you Google Circle Hot Springs, the the Google Maps picture appears to have been taken in the winter by a very low-resolution spy satellite from the early 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not – everything is, like, snowed out. It's it's weird that you would – that Google Maps would have, uh, would have their satellite photo taken in winter. That just seems weird to me, but meh. To each his own. Anyway, here you are at Circle Hot Springs. If you if you zoom in, uh, you can see the runway is over there to the right, and then you have just the very smallest little place there uh, under the under the little red dot where it appears that you know you've got like two streets running parallel. Looks like it might be the town, and then where the where the main highway curves, the highway when the main road curves there's this big kind of snowy place and down at the bottom of this little panty shaped <laughs> parking lot is the hotel. That's the hotel there. Let's see how, how far you, yeah, you can zoom in. Oh, Oh, it's a high, it's higher resolution once you get in there. So you can see the hotel. Uh, and there's a swimming pool next to the hotel that the, and the swimming pool is fed by the hot spring. So the swimming pool is, it never freezes and it also smells like sulfur. Anyway, if you head to the left, you're headed northwest out on the main road, and you go out, the main road curves up to the north, and this is the, the road headed left, and it goes past what sort of appears to be, what is that, some kind of school? No, no, it's just a clearing. <laughs> anyway, you follow that road out a little bit, and then you come to the first main uh, left-hand turn, mm-hmm. and it's a road that is headed. It's it's clearly its own road. It's not just a um, it's not just a street that kind of goes nowhere. It's a it's a road of its own. That first left-hand turn. If you head up that road, that road goes for a while, and then it comes alongside the the creek, and the creek isn't going to look like a creek for a minute from the air because it's all full of ice, but it's a, 
it's the big it's the big creek and the road follows along the creek and then you will see how the area around the creek is cleared of trees back a considerable distance from the creek bed for a while there and then you keep going up anyway that's where the mine was it's called Ketchum Creek. <laughs> and the Pokemon. mine is, is Ketchum a Pokemon? I think the, the trainer is Ketchum. Oh. Anyway, right up there on Ketchum Creek. Which is, you know, it's it's funny. It's like when you get a you get like a a superhero villain whose name actually winds up being the power that they just coincidentally accidentally inherited from oh, the explosion, I see. you know. He catches them all. Right. Got it. Mm -hmm. It's what's crazy about Google Maps. I'm Johnny Firebrand. I just happen to have fire powers. It's just my last name was Firebrand, coincidentally. What would be your your Pokemon name, Dan, if you had one? Pokemon? I have no idea. I have no idea. I thought you were going to ask me what superpower I would want. Well, no. What would your Pokemon be? Because that that would indicate your superpower. Right, I guess it would. I don't. Um, I don't know. Do you? Do you know a lot about Pokemon? No, I know zero about Pokemon. Yeah, I don't know much either. Anyway, that's a little. That's a little. Uh, little trip down memory lane there for you, Dan. Yeah, I appreciate uh, yeah. that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm hoping after this show that someone writes and says because I know we have some we have some listeners that are in the engineering fields. We have some listeners that are in the are in the mines you think i know for i know for a fact we do i know for a fact we have we have uh mining mining uh resource extraction listeners and now this makes no sense to me at all if you go look at fort yukon that picture was taken in the summertime uh-huh. now why would fort yukon be google map summertime picture and circle hot springs be wintertime picture. Oh, this is this is our concern. This is driving me crazy. Anyway, um, I know that there are miners and 49ers listening mm-hmm. to the show, and I feel like maybe one of them is going to reply and say, "You know what? I'll give you, a, I'll give you a dynamite class." I would love that. I would like Three to day go dynamite and see class. A, a di- but you know. I don't think they, I think I'm with you now. I think you've, you've really helped me come on board with this because I feel like there has to be a reason though why they're not using the dynamite more. Don't you think there's a reason why they're not using it? Was it just huh. too messy? Is it too loud? Are the neighbors complaining? Uh, you know, it's something, it's something like that. Yeah. The world's just gotten a lot more careful than it used to be. Oh, we don't want to accidentally blow up someone's house. I bet you if the next door neighbor here had a shed in the back that had a sign on it that said dynamite and it was, it was actually full of dynamite (laughs) that he would be in violation of some code. Yeah. You can't keep dying. It's just like, you can't keep like a chimpanzee in certain jurisdictions. You can't just have dynamite sitting there. It's dangerous. I think to do that, to have dynamite sitting can you not have a chimpanzee in any jurisdiction? No, it depends, uh, but they don't want you to have them. 
Bro, it's not really? fair to the chimpanzee either, because then they become sexually mature and you've got a whole series of other issues. Well, now, look, I'm not saying that I want a chimpanzee. Yeah, what do you I'm want a chimpanzee for, John? If somebody wanted a chimpanzee. Um, Why do you they want wouldn't one so be a, bad? Well, I don't, but they wouldn't be allowed to just have one. It sounds like you care a lot about this. I'm just curious. Is that because you want one? I've, I want to know what the restrictions are on my liberty. Uh, but if, if it's a, a being, a sentient being, is your liberty really concerned at all about that? Should you have it at all? This isn't a moral or ethical question. I just want to know what the restrictions are. I'm not saying that the restrictions are good or bad. I just want to know what they are. Can I not have a chimpanzee in this neighborhood? In Seattle. Seattle? Are you in Seattle? No. South of Seattle. Unincorporated King County. Or uh, incorporated King County. I'm trying to see what are the chimpanzee ownership laws. Chimpanzee ownership laws. I mean, that's a great album title right there. Yeah. Okay, here here's an article about it. Did you think, gosh, they live more than 50 years. Whoa, no thanks. Um, no thanks. Hold on, here it is. It says, uh, even though they are quite endearing, chimps truly are wild animals, and it is illegal to own one in most states in the U.S. Whoa. Still, you may be able to obtain a license in Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and North Dakota. And a few other states may have no regulations at all against owning primates. However, it is, it's best to check with state authorities before signing up for chimp ownership. You can purchase them. Um, but you here's can purchase some questions, them, but not own them. Here's some questions you want to ask. <laughs> right, it's like a weed. You can buy it, but you can't have it. Or you can't buy it, but you can have it. Um, would a chimp truly be able to have a happy, long, and normal primate life in your home? Hmm. Will you be able to afford to care for a pet that will live almost as long as you do? And how will you keep your chimps safe from the public and vice versa? These are good questions. These it are says really good that they questions. do not make good pets. Uh, it doesn't sound there like are it. many current owners that can attest to this. So what? <laughs> so the reason? Oh that wait, we see no, no. Most- hang on, John. This is something here for you. It says that if you're interested in pet chimpanzees, instead consider a cat. No, it says uh, it says a raccoon. No, really, a skunk and a wallaroo. These are their suggestions for three alternative pets to a chimp. Because I don't know about you, but when I look at a skunk, I immediately think chimpanzee. Same thing. Well, you know, skunks are <laughs> uh, I've heard are great pets. Yeah, you just get them uh, de skunked, and they're great. But I don't think, is it, it's not legal to have a raccoon or a skunk, is it? What are the laws about owning a I raccoon? I think you can own an, a raccoon anytime you want. Uh, what are the laws? You, you're Mr. Check out the law, chimpanzee laws. What I'm are the looking, raccoon ownership laws? <clears throat> Let's see if we can turn up here. How to legally own a pet raccoon. Do you say raccoon or raccoon? Raccoon. Like, raccoon. It is illegal to keep them in many states. States that do allow raccoons as pets usually require permits. Oh, so all you need is a permit. It seems like you can get, it's not going through a state by state list here, but there's a summary document under the uh, bornfreeusa.org 
website, which is taking its time to load right now, where apparently I'll be able to find more information about it. Like, I love the idea of... Uh, oh, this, of, is a, this is a site for you. What's a... What was it? A Wallaroo? Wallaroo. Okay. Do you want to hear... What do you, you want to hear about Alaska? Do you want to hear about Washington State? Do you want to hear about Texas first? Well, I don't live in... I don't live in Alaska anymore. I know. But wouldn't I, you be I, curious? I, Their laws are usually bonkers. I'm sure... I'm sure that Texas you, laws you are bonkers, You drive into too. Alaska, they hand you a, a bag of weed and a gun. Let's uh, believe me. Let's uh, let's start with Washington, which is probably the most restrictive of the states. Washington gets category B, and it's a summary of law: no person may possess or breed a potentially dangerous animal after July two thousand seven. A potentially dangerous animal includes, but is not limited to, large cats, wolves, bears, hyenas, non-human primates. Elephants, alligators, crocodiles, water monitors, crocodile monitors, and various species of venomous snakes. Texas has been given category L. I thought it was going to be like an A, B, and C, like it was a grade, but it's not. Category L, summary of law. No person may possess a dangerous wild animal without first obtaining a license, which is a certificate of registration. So we can have them. We just need a license. Dangerous wild animals are defined as lions, tigers, ocelots, cougars, leopards, cheetahs, jaguars, bobcats, lynxes, servals, caracals. Am I saying that right? Caracals. I don't know. Hyenas, bears, coyotes, jackals, baboons, chimpanzees, orangutans, gorillas, or any hybrids of the animals listed. However, there are no requirements for a person possessing all other animal not listed above, such as monkeys, wolves, etc. Wow. So I could get myself a wolf, but I couldn't get a lynx without a permit. But I get the permit, and I'm good to go. Let me just suggest that you not get a wolf. (laughs) Suggest it to yourself, buddy. I'm getting one. (laughs) You know, tell tell yourself what not to get. Why would I not want a wolf? They're amazing. Wolves. Look how glorious they are. They're they're strong. They're, they have big shoulders. The head of a wolf is huge. I want a dire wolf. Yeah, even bigger. Okay, so c- category B is a ban on private ownership of exotic animals. Non-domesticated felines, wolves, bears, reptiles, non-human primates. That's what yours was. An L requires the, and it has owner in quotes, requires the owner of the exotic animal to obtain a license or permit to register the animal with state or local authorities to privately possess the animal. So I can have all these animals right here. I just got to go and fill out a form. Hmm. That's basically the way Texas is. You can kind of do anything you want here. You just fill out a form. It's basically the same as getting a concealed weapons permit, except you probably don't even need to take that much of a test. Oh, I, I did that here. I have my uh, license to carry. Oh, you do? Yeah. I was uh, number one in the class as far as uh, the, the, um, the shooting test, too. What I, happened, I only mit- had one miss. What happened in the class? Uh, it was a full, I mean, they call it a full day class, uh, but it's, you know, it's not really a full, full day to me. You're there at eight in the morning. You're not out of there till 8 p.m. That's a day. Anything less than that, it felt like a half day. But I think it started around 10, and I think it ended around 4, 5. I think it was, no, I'm looking. You know what? I think I was there early. I think I was there at like 7 or 8 in the morning. But I was out at not long after lunch. And what happened in the class? 
the first part of the class uh, is the instructor who is usually a retired police officer or detective or have some kind of law enforcement military background. Ours was a retired cop. And uh, they basically, I think he was, and they basically just walk you through this booklet that goes over the laws. And it's interesting because the laws are pretty common sense. They're pretty straightforward. And a lot of time was spent, and I love this about the class, talking about other ways that you can solve problems without your gun. Uh-huh. Uh, so there was a lot of discussion uh, of like, uh, here are ways to de-escalate situations. And every single thing was like, step one, try to de-escalate the situation. Step two, continue to try to de-escalate the situation until, <laughs> until but they're, you know, they, they go over the laws and like when you can carry, when you can't and, and all of that. And, um, you know, and, and like the rules around, how to carry it, where it can be in your vehicle or where it can't be. And, uh, you know, all of that stuff. And, and then, um, then there's a written test based on that, uh, which of course, you know, was, I thought very easy. And then they take you out to the gun range where you have to prove that you can both follow instructions and hit a target a certain number of times. And, uh, and so that's completely, Basically, you're standing there and they'll say something like, and and of course, you can be using a revolver or a semi-automatic pistol. Uh, It's up to you. And they'll say something like, load five cartridges. And you'll have to load the five. And they'll say, you know, aim. And you'll have to aim. And he's like standing there watching everyone do everything. And then, and then you have to shoot. And they're set up in different ranges. So you, one, I've, and this was a while ago, so I don't remember all the details. But one was like a certain number of yards away. And then you have to go back twice as far. So then you're, you know, you start really close. So you're like five yards away. Then you're 15 yards. Then you're 20. And so basically each one of those, you have to, you have to hit the target in a certain way without a certain number of misses. So then you have to go back and count how many were in the target, how many weren't. And there's a certain number of points that you earn based on how many shots are landed inside of the target and how many are missed. And as long as you get a certain number of points, then you pass. So if you pass your written test and you pass your shooting test and you attended the class, which all happens in the same day, uh, then you're good to go. And there, it was so funny to me because there was a couple guys in the class. There was one guy who was like, he's like a big talker acting all like machismo tough and everything like, ah, I got this. You know, when we went to the range, he was shaking. He couldn't hit the target. He was terrified. He, it's like he'd never shot a gun before. And, uh, and, and, and then there was a woman there who, never shot the gun before, still had it in the original like box with the wrap and stuff on it. And she was waving this thing around and people were like feeling like we were like ducking underneath it. And the instructor like ran over and like held her arm up. She got her license. So the other guy, uh, I mean, so did, did anybody not pass the guy who was really shaky? Uh, he was permitted to retake the shooting test afterwards and just made it within by one, I think one shot. Uh, but everyone else, everyone else passed. No problem. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, my goal wasn't to pass because I had I'd been shooting many, 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 many times. So I knew that I would pass. I wanted to get a perfect score. 
And I was one shot off from a perfect score. And, and it really, to this day, mm. but I still have Uh, the, uh, I still have the, uh, the target, you know, I saved it. Oh, you did. Yeah. And what, so, so you've got one, one bullet hole that's outside of the, yes. And it was from the farthest distance away too. Well, you're better. You're better marksman than I. Dan. Well, if I had known, I would have brought the Smith and Wesson six two six that I have because that thing. I didn't know that we were going to have an opportunity. You know, I was. I didn't know. I th- I'd watched people at gun range tests and stuff where they're like rolling on the ground and shooting at a target, and then they got to punch someone in the face and you know jump down and open a parachute. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know we were just going to be standing there. But the six two six is like a cannon. And it's impossible to miss with that thing. The barrel on that thing is a mile long. If I had known, I would have gotten that. I would have taken my time. But uh, you live and learn, John. (laughs) Take your time, Dan. I know. Has it occurred to you to join a shooting club? I mean, I've thought about that. Um, It's an expensive hobby. You know, people don't, they don't think about that. But it's, and I'm, I'm saying ammo is very expensive. Right. Right. You could load your own. You know, I, I looked <laughs> I looked into that, but there's too many stories of things going awry for me, for my tastes. When, when loading your own ammo, yeah, things go like, awry? I yes, didn't know that. Yes. If you don't load it just right, uh, you can have lots of problems. Yeah. They can like, yeah, I don't want to mess with that. I don't want to go there. Huh. But I don't shoot that much that, that it... I think I w- it would be worth it. I just I just want to maintain my skill level. I don't need to. I'm not like you know com- competing or anything. Right, right. I have friends that um, that are competitive shooters. Yeah. I think that listen to this program. Nice. And um, I mean, I could, I'll take them all on, bring them on. But oh, sure, sure, yeah. sure. I had friends growing up whose fathers loaded their own ammo and out yeah. in the garage they had all the <laughs> the little black press in the thing. The press. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want black powder. I don't want it around. <laughs> I just I don't need to worry about that. Black powder is so fun, but I, you <laughs> know, anymore I probably I mean I used to not have any sense and now I have more sense and <laughs> it would make um it would be dumb. It would be dumb for me to have black powder. Yes, please don't. Yeah. It used to be great, though. Back in the days when you could just go go get dynamite, <laughs> dynamite, black powder, and have it sitting in a you know coffee can in your garage. Oh man, it's crazy. What you used, used what to, used to take place in basements and garages would shock modern people. I think. Just, I mean, what to, what took place inside of Fred Meyer would shock people. <laughs> Do you guys have Fred Meyer? We don't, but I know what it is because of the Dead Kennedys song. The Dead Kennedys have a song about Fred Meyer? They don't it's not about Fred Meyer, but it is the one where he's talking about the truck with the KC lights when Ray's guitar string broke. Uh-huh. And um what is that one called? Dead Kennedys. I'm gonna have to look this up. It's gonna take me a minute. But uh they talk about Fred Meyer in that a little bit. Um, Red Meyer, I'm telling you, it's, uh, it's, you know, kind of Walmarty, I guess for people. Well, there are probably a lot of people listening that don't. That Night don't of the Walmart living either. rednecks is the name of that song. Right. 
a recording of a segment of a concert in Portland, Oregon in 1979 when East Bay Ray broke a guitar string, Jello proceeded to tell a story over a jazz improvisation by the rest of the band about an encounter with a group of dumb rich kids. The encounter supposedly took place on a previous trip to Portland with the band. Wow, some Dead Kennedys deep cuts. Yeah, yeah. From were you, were <laughs> you a punker, Dan? Well, we talked about this and you've told yeah. me that I was not um, because I didn't love being in mosh pits and that was part of the punk rock experience because I didn't love getting elbowed in the face. That meant that I was not a true punk rocker, but I see I did go into the mosh pits from time to time and I loved the music and definitely uh, wore the clothing Army Navy surplus store knew me and uh, I think I pulled off the look pretty well, but I didn't, I didn't really enjoy getting elbowed in the face. Do you have a picture of yourself in your most punk rock? I would have to look to see, but I had a mm, kind of a Mohawk, but not an extreme Mohawk. What year are we talking about? 1986. Seven, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 88 maybe but i didn't yeah. listen also what would show that i wasn't truly a punk rocker was that i didn't listen exclusively to punk rock i there were other things i liked and mm-hmm. the people that i knew that were hardcore and uh especially those who were straight edge would never have listened to anything else mm-hmm. that was that part i think that kept me out from really being part of the community well, I would like to see. I would like to see that photograph of I you. I look for it. Yeah, that would make me. That would make me very happy. I don't. I don't remember saying that you couldn't be a real punk rocker if you didn't go into the mosh pits. We've got it. Rec- we've got it re- on recording. I'll have to dig it up. But um, right. what's the guy? The the cool dude that chronicles every single thing that you do has a wiki on you. Oh, there are six or seven of them. What do you mean? Well, there's one guy in particular that has like the definitive website. Yeah. Uh, he 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 would know. He would yeah, know okay. which one you said that. Well, we'll 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 see. We'll see. It, it, you know, uh, Captain Merriam also is pretty good at at remembering things, yes. finding finding old yes old quotes. So we'll we'll see about that. We'll see about that. Uh, I just am. Uh, I'm just trying to picture teenage Dan. Mm. In Philadelphia in the 80s. Oh, and I was in Florida by this time. Oh, you're in Florida. Yes, yes. There's such a huge difference between a 1985 Florida punker and a 1985 Philadelphia punker. (laughs) I'm sure you're right. I'm just like, my head just went. Yeah. My exposure to punkers in other regions i i i went to outward bound in 1980 explain what outward bound is for those who might not know what this uh was um outward bound is a um is a program um, that is kind of based on not a not a Boy Scouts model, 
but a um, like a wilderness survival leadership training kind of program. Was it for kids who were sort of misbehaving in school and they would send them to this to teach them about like, you know, how to trust people and that kind of. Well, here's the, here's the problem. Yes. And also no. Outward bound can outward bound is in theory, just a place to go learn leadership school, Mm -hmm. leadership, uh, leadership skills, outdoor skills, uh, to go into the back country and kind of pick up the base level skills of how to fend for yourself, how to, you know, how to make a camp, how to cook for yourself, how to travel via whatever means canoe or, or on foot or whatever through the wilderness Mm -hmm. to live in the wilderness for a period of time and to come back to the world, having gained both the, both the knowledge of those skills and also the insights into oneself that come from that experience. And, and you bond with your little cadre of fellow travelers. You learn that you have to, you have to count on one another. You know, it's, it's team building, right? And that is at a, at a base level, not a, a remedial or punitive program at all. Okay. It's just like this is a thing that you would take if you were gonna, if you were gonna be a Boy Scout, if you were gonna join the army. It's, but also if you were gonna be a forest ranger, or if you were gonna be a backcountry guide. You know, it's all these same skills. Right. The problem is that outward bound. It's sort of in the same way that twelve step programs got perverted along the way. And 12-step became, instead of something that you would seek out if you were in trouble and needed help, it became something that the court could order you to go do, mm. which is, the, which is it's meaningless, right? If, the, if you're forced to go to a 12-step meeting, it's just, if, if you get healthy there, it's going to be by accident. <laughs> Outward Bound became a thing that guidance counselors who were dealing with troubled kids would say, you know, maybe a outdoor leadership training would would snap this kid. I get it. So it was you're you're saying it wasn't created for that purpose, but it it became a thing that they used for that purpose. Right. And the so but and the thing is it's still not that. People go to Outward Bound as like a like a great adventure. Kids who want to go to Outward Bound are inspired to and mm-hmm. go and become uh you know, they go live a life in the, in the, in the, the forests or in the, in the country. Like there are multiple outward bounds. Uh, there's one in Texas. There's a, there's one in the Southwest. There's a South American one. There's a Pacific Northwest one, North Carolina, mid Atlantic, Maine. There's one in India, Florida, the Rockies, Central America, Caribbean, California. And then the one I went to, which was the boundary waters of uh, between Minnesota and Canada in the land of 10,000 lakes up there. The, uh, but the, the problem is that 
Outward Bound isn't really, or at least it wasn't in 1983. They're not really qualified to deal with truly delinquent teens. Like the the counselors, the 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 guides at Outward Bound are generally kids in their 20s and 30s that like making campfires and know how to tie ropes and want to show you how like cool to, out, outdoorsy kind of people yeah want to you know teach you how to row a canoe and how to you know how to um bury your fire pit and how to m- make dinner out of fern fiddlehead fern tips <laughs> right? <laughs> right they're not generally um reform school teachers and so Outward Bound, some, at least in my case, what happened was, in 1983, my parents didn't know what to do with me. And it wasn't that I was on drugs. It wasn't that I was having sex or sleeping out at night or stealing cars or doing any kind of crimes at all or smoking cigarettes. I wasn't even especially defiant. I wasn't, certainly wasn't violent I just wanted to be left the fuck alone mm-hmm. and please just leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me read and play quietly and go on long walks. Please don't bother me. But that drove my parents crazy because I also had that attitude about my teachers, you know, please mm-hmm. just, I'm here. I'm at school. Just let me read quietly. <laughs> please don't make me do assignments or ask me questions or, interrupt me when I'm talking. <laughs> and so I was in trouble all the time as, as we've discussed many times on this program and everybody was trying to figure out what to do. Guidance counselors, the psychiatrists, the, te- the schools, my parents, and somebody floated the idea. What about outward bound? And this was during that period when it was suggested, maybe I was going to go to reform school. And if they had actually succeeded in sending me to reform school, it would have been the worst possible thing they could have done because I was not because all I would have done at reform school is learn to smoke and drink and right. and uh, steal cars. We would love to say thank you very much to Squarespace. Of course, it's Squarespace because they have been a loyal sponsor of ours and of mine forever for like more than 10 years. And that's because they're awesome. They help you make beautiful websites. You can turn whatever idea you have into a cool new website, somewhere that you can showcase your work, sell products and services, blog or publish content. They've figured it all out. They've thought it all out. And I'll tell you what, they make it as easy as can be to do this stuff. I even use Squarespace, even though I'm like a web design nerd from the old old days, I still love and use Squarespace because it makes things so much easier. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products if you're selling stuff with just a few clicks. It's got built-in e-commerce functionality. It's got beautiful templates by world-class designers that are better than me, probably better than you. The hosting is all built in. You don't have to update stuff or patch stuff and they've even got 24-7 customer support that's won awards. Do you get the idea here? I'm saying you can make it yourself. You can make it stand out. If you can think of it, you can make it, and if you will it, it is no dream. So go over to squarespace.com slash roadwork. They made a special URL just for the show. And that supports us. You just go there and visit. That supports me and John and the work we do here. But you know what you're also going to get? You're going to get a free trial. 
And when you're ready to launch, you will use the promo code ROADWORK and that will save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Did I mention you can get domains there whether you get a website or not? You can do both. You just do one. It's because they thought of everything. So thanks very much to Squarespace for making this show possible. What they had was a kid that they couldn't control, but I was self-controlled. Right. It didn't sound like you were in, in need of being controlled even. Hmm. All the, I mean, the whole problem was I didn't do what people wanted. It wasn't even that I didn't do what I was told. I just didn't do what they wanted, which, and what they wanted was for me to excel at things. And in failing to do that, I was all of a sudden a discipline problem because I wasn't doing what they dreamed. You know, it's crazy to think back at. So they sent me to Outward Bound and they told me, that it was like a wilderness adventure camp. And I didn't want to go. I was like, wilderness adventure camp. That sounds like weird. Not yeah. that fun. Yeah. But when I got there, I realized that there were two outward bounds at the Boundary Waters Canoe area in uh, 1983. And at the time, our program was called the Voyageurs. I don't know if that's... It doesn't seem like that's still what they call it, but I got there and there was a kid in my group who had been escorted there by a representative of the court system of Minneapolis. And there was a kid from Chicago. There was a kid from LA. There was a kid from Florida. Um, and they were all a little older than me. You know, they were 15 and I was, I guess they were 15, 16. I was 14. Mm -hmm. I was the youngest. And they were thugs. You know, they'd been sent there because they were real thugs. And this was a discipline this, this was a thing where like team building and, uh, and leadership skills were going to transform these kids in the, in a period of two weeks from being cigarettes, smoking, rock and roll, listening, uh, convenience store, shoplifting suburban punks, right. or I'm sorry, urban punks. Uh, and they were, I don't know what was going to happen to them. This is the magical thinking of the, of the 1980s that they were going to learn to, they were, it was like a TV movie. They were going to learn to love or something. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I realized that I had been <clears throat> placed in this group because all of this was happening via brochures somebody in Alaska got a brochure that was like, you know, like those ads that you used to see in the back of sunset magazine. They were like, you, you know, send your kid to weight loss camp. Right. There was some brochure that was like, have you got a troubled teen? Well, consider the out, out, outdoor leadership school. Well, all around us on that, uh, that sort of initiation day when we, we flew into Duluth and were picked up and taken out to um, to the camp, and there were hundreds of kids. 
And I looked around and realized that we were dividing up into probably 20 different groups. And only one of those groups was made up of delinquents. The rest of the groups were um, mixed gender. Uh, They seemed like fun kids who had decided in their summer to go to this cool outdoor leadership school. Mm -hmm. And then there was my group (laughs) who were, it was like the beginning of a, of a 1970s Disney film, uh, like, (laughs) like bad news bears. Yeah. My group was this group of, it was all boys. There were 12 or 13 of us and they were, they refused to line up. They were, you know, sitting in the dirt sullenly. Um, when the camp counselor blew the whistle and everybody else kind of got into their groups, these, you know, these guys like intentionally walked over the line and kicked. And I was, you know, and I was there, I was like outdoor leadership school. Nobody had told me I was a delinquent. So I was standing on the line, like at attention, like she said, Hey, you guys, she said, like, she said, like she blew the whistle and they were like, you're a nerd. And it took me that first couple of days where they were teaching us just the basics of stuff to realize that I had not gone to outdoor leadership school. I had gone to reform school Uh and it sucked because these kids were all bigger than me. They were all mean and none of them wanted to be there. And I watched as those other 20 groups got into their canoes singing the, the, a waka waka flight fight song or whatever, and paddled off into on various adventures out into the boundary waters. And I and my group and our five or six canoes, probably six canoes, 12 of us and our two counselors, uh, we headed off into the woods and it was like the beginning of two weeks of total Lord of the flies. Oh man. For me. The counselors, one of them was like a real kind of skinny, um, ginger haired hippie with a long beard who had never been confronted before. Right. And was just a complete, I mean, he knew outdoor leadership, but he was a total wiener. And then, you know, the kind of the little dikey counselor who was real, you know, like super capable outdoors woman, um, like granola kind of hippie. Right. Oh, I can like, see it. But she was five feet tall, and most of the kids in my group at 15, 16 years old were fully grown dudes. I mean, I wasn't. I was still, I hadn't had my growth spurt yet. But a lot of them were just like full on, and they, and they weren't afraid to, you know, be physically bullying. Right. And they just, it was two awful weeks. I was, I was bullied relentlessly and we were, we were living together in tents, um, miles and miles and miles from 
anywhere. There are no towns. There was no, there was no anything. We were responsible. This was the whole outdoor leadership aspect of it, right? You're responsible for cooking for each other and building fires, cleaning up, traveling together, working as a team. And, um, it was, it was the exact opposite of that. And I remember sitting one day in camp, you know, kids were stealing food. Kids Mm -hmm. would refuse to work. They would sit down and say, you pack the camp, you know, all this kind of stuff. They were, uh, they'd snuck, um, contraband in. They would, a kid, you know, threw me out of a canoe. I got beat up. That's terrible. And, uh, I remember we were sitting in our canoes and another group from our group came over the horizon in their canoes and it was the, they were the first people we'd seen in eight days and they paddled up to us and they were, there were boys and girls in their group and they looked so happy. And they were like, oh my God, you guys, it's so great to see you. And we sat there in the middle of this lake bobbing in our canoes and they tried to talk to us and our group was so sullen and just like, whatever, that you could see on their faces that they were like, oh, well, nice seeing you guys, I guess. Like <laughs> they grossed out and paddled off. Right. And that was, it was two weeks of that, right? Man, that really and- sucked. Yeah, that's a story for another time, the, the the whole story of it. But but that was Outward Bound for me. But that's not what Outward Bound is. I think it's a wonderful program. I just got... I, uh, <clears throat> I got brochured. 